Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband, our Daf of the day, Masechet Psachim, Daf Pe Gimel, eighty-three. So our Daf has a Mishnah this time, right in the middle of our Daf on Amud Aleph, um, and it's you know for the vegetarians among us, this is the less pleasant, more detailed graphic of the you know eating aspect, the bones. We're going to talk about the bones of the Korban Pesach. So there's a certain amount of the korban that cannot be eaten, right? So it's speaking specifically about the bones of the korban Pesach, and though they contain edible marrow, they, it cannot be eaten because then that's, you can't break, this is a separate, like you have to know this background information to, it's not in the mission itself, you can't break the bones of the korban Pesach. It's a prohibition because it's the korban Pesach. It's not the same thing of I don't know. I, you're Dan, I don't know about you, but I have relatives who like to eat the marrow from, really from chicken bones, I guess. So I'll, and, I'll just joke. My father, who was a pediatric hematologist oncologist, used to always love to suck the marrow out of bones because it reminded him of his job. That might have been an overshare. <laughs> but I'll just, well, I, was, I, have, I honestly I was, I've been it. thinking of him the whole time that I'm learning this, that he would have just gotten a kick out of this stuff. So I have some beloved relatives who, um, don't have that job, but do enjoy the marrow. Um, and growing up, I, I did not quite take to this, <clears throat> but um, but I guess it's. I'm, quite I'm with you, team no marrow. <laughs> <laughs> team no marrow. But the thing is that if you, even if you are one of the marrow eaters, that should be a book. If even if you are one of the marrow eaters, you can't for the korban pesach, lest the bro- the bones break, because you can't br- break the bones of the korban pesach. So. The bones, and according to the Mishnah, the implication is any of the marrow that's in there, but we're going to talk about that in a moment, um, would end up being burned with whatever elements of the Korban Pesach can't be eaten. It's going to be burned on the 16th of Nisan, right? Meaning the next day, um, which is, of course, after after the first day of Pesach, after the day of the eating of the Korban Pesach. about What happens if the 16th falls on Shabbos and you can't burn? Meaning theoretically, anyway, you can't burn your stuff then because it's it's really discarding it, right? It's not offering a korban. So the Mishnah here says Yisarfu basar. So then burn it on the seventeenth. We don't defer Shabbos or Yuntif for the sake of burning the leftovers of the korban, which I think makes good sense, right? It's one thing to say that you we we defer Shabbos for the sake of we we kind of sets Shabbos aside for certain korban aspects of itself, but not for this particular task. So the Gemara goes on to talk about what's what's happening with these bones in a way that I think becomes, um, you know, a springboard really to a larger discussion of values. So so the bones of offerings, where the where they then served as the basis of the notar of that which is left over, meaning they render the hands impure, meaning that they are the same way that any leftover sacrificial part itself would render the hands impure, meaning that's what notar can do. This is it's considered hektesh. It's considered I don't want to say hektesh. It's considered kodesh, right? It is um, holy. Right, because it has become the base, like a literally a base, right, a, a platform, a base 
for an intrinsically prohibited object. Meaning the thing that they are supporting is, for example, the meat of the carbon, right? Whatever it's going to be, it's already, it's notar. It's already past the date. So the Gemara says, well, you know, we have this same statement from the Mishnah that says that we're going to burn the bones and the sinews and the leftovers, Hanotar, should all be burned on the 16th. Fine. So the Gemara then comes to ask as follows. What are the cases where we'd in fact burn the bones? Now, if you've just read the Mishnah, you think it's pretty obvious, like you have to burn them no matter what. But it's not as simple from the perspective of the Gemara. If you want to say that it doesn't have any marrow, lama so then why would you burn them? Meaning they're, you could just get rid of them, right? Like toss them. We can discard them, right? Because it's not something that's edible. So then maybe you don't have to burn it because it's the edible parts that you have to burn because that's the notar, right? That's the part that you want to make sure that nobody comes along later to eat. But the bones, meaning not the marrow, just the bones themselves, are not edible. So presumably, then the Gemara says, or let's let's hypothesize that the that these bones don't have any marrow to begin with, because otherwise, I, I'm sorry, these bones do have marrow to begin with, because if they didn't have marrow, you wouldn't be burning them to begin with. Elapshita to eat bo moach, moach means here marrow, which is, of course is funny because moach in modern Hebrew means a brain. Um, and I don't have any, I'm sure there's an explanation for why it's the same word, but I don't know it. Do you? No, I don't know. We'll have to look that up. Okay, so now, and then this is where I say it waxes a little bit philosophical or, or it can be taken that way. If you want to say that you're, that the the basis of the, that the bone is the support for the notar, right? That's really what, what's happening here. You have an item that's serving as the base, the basis, for the notar. And maybe that then makes that same thing an important, significant thing, which is then, you know, ruled out of use, the possibility of use, the same way the notar itself is. Well, I'm to lahachi by Sreifa. So then you would say, that's why you burn the, the bones. Meaning even without marrow in them, the bones have been the base for the marrow. So maybe that's enough of a reason that they should uh, be required to be burned. But if you say that using them as a base, let's say for, for the notar is not considered a thing, then they shouldn't need burning, which, is all, which we've already said. So let's, this I find to be fascinating. The Gemara here says, well, let's break them, remove the marrow, burn the marrow, discard the bones, right? Now, you're going to say, but one second, didn't we just say that you can't burn, you can't break the bones of the Korban Pesach? And that's, you know, So rather even than get into all of that, they just say, don't conclude that the, that the basis for the notar is not significant. It's just obvious that it clearly is important that the notar that the base there for the notar is a thing and the bones themselves become prohibited and because of that they can in fact be they can render something they can you know convey that impurity and then because because they themselves have those hectate or not hectate kodesh uh, contents of the marrow and therefore they can be burned or should be burned 
And of course, then the Gemara again we're flip flopping. So the Gemara says, "Oh, let's let's refute this." So the refutation says, like, no, it's not a thing. You don't have to worry about the base for the notar of being of any significance, but rather um, when the <clears throat> when the the verse that says not to break a bone, it says not to break a bone in it. Kasavar bo. That bo means in it in this verse from Shmot Yud Bet, chapter twelve. It says that the same way that you're talking about breaking a bone in it, we're talking that should apply even if because. Uh, even if your Korban Pesach itself has been disqualified, which means that the prohibition against breaking the bones of the Korban Pesach um, is going to apply even when the Korban Pesach itself is no longer eligible to be eaten. So the bones have to be burned because there's no way you can get the marrow out. Since you can't get the marrow out, then you do have this you know, whether you want to think that there's a basis is a significant thing or not, it doesn't matter because the marrow itself is there. You can't, um, you have to treat it, right? And the way you treat it is by burning and you can't burn the marrow without burning the bones. So therefore you burn the bones, which brings us back to the beginning. But one of the things that I say that I think that this is a philosophical point is the way they're discussing about this, you know, you have a container basically, namely the bones or the container for the marrow. And the discussion of whether something is a thing, whether there's any value to it, whether the, whether it's worth anything, you know, independent of its contents or only because of its contents. And we're not going to take the time now to to actually get into the philosophy of that. But I, I think the fact that at the end of the day, the Gemara kind of sidesteps this whole question and doesn't want to delve into, you know, is it really, do we do we give... Do we render it significant? Do we call it significant because it had once housed content that was in fact consecrated? You know, it's like saying the container is only valuable because of what it once held, or could it be, you know, valuable in its own right? And I think that there's a lot to unpack there, just in terms of you know how we go about thinking about uh, what is valuable. You know, when when does it require content? When do we require marrow, for example? Even if you're on team no marrow, right? When do you require marrow for the for the something for the thing that contains it to be worth something? Right. And I think what's very clear is almost when you divvied up your Corbin pace up with your group, I, I think it almost was like everyone sat and you're like, all right, you're gonna get this piece and you're gonna get that piece and you're gonna get that piece. And it wasn't just, you know, the way we make a meal now, which is like, you know, I think about how many people, well, pre-COVID days, how many people I might have been cooking for. And, you know, by chicken accordingly, it 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 almost seems like there was a real calculation here, um, a balance between giving everyone their kazayat and also, you know, really making sure that there was enough for everybody to eat. And it's clear there were parts of the animal eaten that I think a fair number of us would not typically eat. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. I'm sure, but that's also like kind of cultural or generational or something like that. Yes, I'm sure. You know, like our, I, 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 since we're oversharing, or at least I am, like right. I will throw out and let everyone know, I know how to make the delicacy of pitcha. <laughs> so that's fun. I knew that way. I knew you did that. But whereas I'm not sure I have ever touched or ever want to touch the delicacy of pitcha. Right. So I'm just saying. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what it is, it's jelly um, calf boobs. Um, and I'm privileged to know uh, how to make that. Um, and um, I had a very special teacher. I'm gonna laugh. I did. I had a very my 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 uh, close friend, Mrs. Greta Avalo, 
she taught me how to make it. I'll give a shout out to her. Anyhow, so okay, uh, uh, but not every- those are good points. Yeah, but not everybody likes to eat it. I mean, it's it's jelly. It's basically garlic jello. But my point is, for those people who love it, they really love it. But anyhow, I'm going to move on here. Um, and enough with my oversharing of food that I either make or don't like today. So, um, so one thing I just want to point out is there is a nice discussion about the Gita Nasha and how that all fits into Korban Pesach. And obviously that has to be a piece of the animal that absolutely cannot be eaten. Um, so, you know, just pay attention to that on the dock there. So the Gemara now goes on to this, to the question of when do you burn the leftover, the nota, right? The Chal Shisha Asar. So remember the mitzvah of the Korban Pesach is, is that some, you must eat all the parts of the Korban Pesach. And if you did not eat it, you have to burn it. Now, what's interesting is, is that you don't burn it right away, right? You're going to wait until the 16th, which means that you're not burning the leftover on the 15th, because the idea is, is that you can't actually burn it on Yom Tov itself. This act is not actually allowed. And if it falls out on Shabbat, right? If that 16th falls out, on, so you have to wait till the 16th. And if the 16th falls out on Shabbat, you have to wait till the 17th. So the timeline would be, you shuck the Korban Pesach on the 14th, you eat it on the 15th, but you don't burn it, right? Even though you're not allowed to eat any more of it after a certain time on the 15th, you don't burn the leftover until the 16th. And if the 16th is Shabbos, you don't burn it until the 17th. And the reason is, is that we're not going to allow the burning on Yom Tov itself. And so that's why we don't burn it the 15th and push it up to the 16th. And if it's and if it's the 16th of Shabbat, we don't allow it to be burned until the 17th. And I think the Gemara here understands it's a little bit puzzling about this, because if you're going to say that the leftover, whatever is not eaten, does need to be burned, it's a little puzzling that we don't do it on Yom Tov or on Shabbat itself, because there's so many other pieces of the Korban Pesach that seem to always be the exception, right? That you are allowed to shecht it on Shabbat itself, that if the majority of the congregation is Tameh, you would still bring it, even though normally you would not be allowed to bring it if you were the individual. There seems to be all of these, you know, exceptions that we sort of make because the Korban Pesach is such an important Korban. And so I think they want to understand, well, why couldn't you burn it on Yom Tov? Furthermore, we do know that on Yom Tov, we can make fires when it comes to food. So it's not like you wouldn't or you can use fire, not make the fire, but use the fire, you know, especially when it comes to food. So I think they need to understand why can't you burn the Korban Pesach on Yom Tov so it gets pushed to the 16th and why, you know, and then obviously, but even the question of Shabbat, right, why are you pushing it to the 17th? So am I. So the Gemara starts off with asking, okay, why can't you burn it on Yom Tov, basically, right? And so it says here, right? Uh, let the positive commandment of burning it, right, of burning the notar, burning what was left over, override the negative commandment overdoing, you know, basically doing malach on Yom Tov. So that's all part of the question. In other words, you have this positive commandment of notar that whatever is left over of the Korban Pesach, one must burn. And let that really be take precedent over, right, the same way that we allowed having to shech the Korban Pesach in the right time on the 14th, even if the 14th falls out on Shabbat. So say the same thing about notar. You have this positive commandment that you must burn it. So let that overrule the not using, not doing malacha on, on Chag, on Yom Tov. So the Gemara gives the following answer. Amar Chizkiah, Chizkiah says, tani and some, you know, it was also taught in a brisa in the, you know, Academy of Chizkiah, Amar Kra, right? So we, we're going to quote a Pasuk here. 
lo totiru mimenu ad boker, notar mimenu ad boker, Right, so this is a pasuk from Shmot, Perikid Bet, Pasuk Yud, right? When the Korban Pesach is given as a commandment. And it says, what? You won't leave any of it until morning, right? And any of it that's left until morning, you burn in the fire, right? She'en Talmud Lamar Ad Boker. So it doesn't need for the, the, the Torah doesn't need to use the word Ad Boker twice. Why does it have the word Boker twice? Ma Talmud Lamar Ad Boker. So what does it come to teach us? Right, that the idea is is that the first morning is there to teach us what that you don't eat it, you can't eat it anymore past the morning, right? So past the morning of the fifteenth, you can't eat it. But the second one is to tell us what that the second morning, the morning of the sixteenth, is that's when you're going to burn it, the first morning of Chalamoe. So that's how you're going to burn it. So that's Chizkiyah's proof of how we know. And again, it's more sort of saying that there's like the Torah had to go out of its way to teach it because the assumption would have been that you could actually burn it. Now they're going to have another one about why no tart is not burned on Yom Tov. Abaye Amar, right? So Abaye is going to offer this one. Amar Kra, Olat Shabbat B'Shabbato. Right? So now this is talking about when we talk about the Musaf, the Korban Musaf that was brought on Shabbat, right? We read this every week when we say, uh, when we daven uh, Musaf on Shabbat. And it says here, this is a Pasuk in Bamidbar, Perk Chavchet, Pasuk Yud, chapter 28, verse uh, 10, that says the Ola, right, of Shabbat, it, you know, uh, the offering of each Shabbat on its own Shabbat. So it's saying that the Shabbat korban has to be an Ola that's burnt on Shabbat. Below Olat Chol B'Shabbat, but a weekday Ola is not burnt on Shabbat. Below Olat Chol B'Yom Tov, and a, and a weekday Ola is also not burned on Yom Tov. So in other words, what we're saying here is, is that these, the, the, anything that's sort of, uh, it, it's an exception sort of that on Shabbat, you have this Ola that is burned, but it has to be of Shabbat. It has to be the Ola of Shabbat. So it can't be that it's the Ola of Chol that you would burn on Shabbat. And it can't be the Ola of, you know, Chol that would be burned on Yom Tov. The only Ola you're going to burn is this Shabbat Shabbatom. And now we're going to have a third one, which is Rava comes and he says, Amarkra, hu levado right? So this is talking about Yom Tov um, and talking about the prohibition that you can't do any work. And this is um, from, uh, this is a source from uh, Bamidbar, uh, Yud Bet uh, Pasuk Tetzayin, chapter 12, verse 16, right? What it's saying is only that may be done for you. Right. So the, the beginning half of that pasuk is basically saying you can't do any work on these days except that would, you know, ha- has to be eaten for a person. So that's where we learn that you can do cooking and stuff like that on Yom Tov for what you need. And then again, but it says, only that would need to be done for you. So the question is basically that this, you know, only right. This uh, seems to be um, uh, repetitive. Right. So what it says here is who below. So it's saying only that that this word of who seems right of that. Here it means that. So it's saying not any, you can't do anything that is preliminary to food preparation, right? So this would be basically like you can't grind wheat. This is actually a Mishnah and Beitzah, which we'll learn about, um, which talks about all the halachot of Yom Tov. So for example, when we talk about what you can do on Yom Tov, you can do kneading, you can do the actual cooking. But if you have to do anything, 
to prepare the wheat to get it to the stage of kneading, that stuff is still going to be a source. So that's what the who te- teaches us. Levado, right, only, right, that word also is not needed. And now I know I'm going on to the next step. So this tells us that you can't perform anything uh, that you can't, uh, uh, that one can't perform on Yom Tov, on Yom Tov or Shabbat, a circumcision that's not at its designated time. In other words, if for some reason it wasn't day eight, right? Like, in other words, it, it was day nine. Something happened with the baby. They had, they had a high bilirubin and the Mila got pushed off. Um, and day nine, you know, finally they're cleared and it's day nine or 10, but that falls out on Yom Tov or Shabbat. You're not going to be allowed to do it. Haba Mikal Bachomer. So then this would be a right? So this would also be derived through a Kal Bachomer argument. So in other words, what we would say is, is the following, that essentially this Levado, right, basically doesn't allow, it, it, it basically teaches us that when the time of a mitzvah isn't fixed, right? So, and it's, you know, and it doesn't, so then it can't actually override any of the prohibitions about malacha on Yom Tov and Shabbos. So instead, you're just going to postpone it until the next day. So the idea of burning, right, something that's notar, something that's disqualified, right, it's not really, it's not something that has to be performed on Yom Tov or on Shabbat itself. Um, And so therefore, it wouldn't actually override that. So they learned that out through a Kalvachomer. But then what's interesting is, is that now that they did it through sort of doing it through psukim, now the Gemara is going to come and sort of give like a technical legal reason, right? And says, Ravashi Amar, right? Shabbaton, right? So we have this pasuk here. Um, and again, now we're talking about a pasuk that's in Vayikra, Perak Chavkim, Pasuk uh, Lamed Tet, chapter 23, verse um, 39, where it says Shabbaton di Yom Tov, right? So it says, the, it, it, it calls Yom Tov Shabbaton, right? Which is a day of rest. Asehu, and it's a positive commandment. In other words, it's saying on Yom Tov, you should be resting. So that's how we know that Malacha is uh, labor, you know, work is prohibited on Yom Tov. And so when you have a sort of single positive commandment, right? Which is the mitzvah of burning notar, right? Of burning this leftover meat that can't override the combination of a negative and a positive commandment of don't do work and you should have to rest on Yom Tov. So, you know, I thought this was just a whole interesting train of thought. First of all, the question itself is interesting because I think it is more logical to assume that you would burn the notar on Yom Tov. And the fact that you push it off doesn't seem to go with the rest of of the halachot or the way sort of the Korban Pesach was being treated in other areas. And then I think it's interesting to see that there's sort of two methodologies of how to prove it. One methodology is to say, no, a specific pasuk had to come and teach this to us, right? And then the third methodology, and so, and there are three opinions for those pasukim. And the third methodology is the one of Ravashi, where Ravashi is going to say, no, I'll make this sort of a rule thing, right? That you, we're going to invoke this rule that a single, like one positive commandment, one assay, right? The commandment to burn the notar can override another area where you have a combination of an assay and a low assay together. And so I think in the end, they sort of wrap it up very nicely to prove why the notes are doesn't get burned to the 16th and even in some cases the 17th. Oh boy. Well, thank you for this overview. I feel like there's a lot to hold on to here. Um, 
And I think that you've, you know, set this up very well for us. Thank yeah, you I don't that. think there's like much um, to comment or discuss on it, but I just think it right, was like an that's, interesting, you know, from a methodological point of view, I just thought it, was, it, it showed some nice Gamara thinking here. I think it's nice Gamara thinking. I think it's, it shows um, the, I don't know what, a certain amount of interplay between or, or different nuances, I guess, between different positions. Um, yeah, you know. exactly. It's always interesting to see, you know, what, especially when we have a bottom line halacha, but then it ends up being sort of different sukim to learn it out. And that, that, you know, that's the piece that gets interesting. Not, not, not what the psak is, but how it gets learned. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, Go and learn.